This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. All right, everyone. I think we figured it out. Uh, <laughs> well, Sorry. Quite the, quite the beginning to our program today on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. But uh, as we've seen in the last week for the hockey team of our city, uh, sometimes the plan, sometimes things don't go according to plan. Uh, better late than ever. Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, everybody. Awesome to be with you today um, with a lot to discuss coming out of last night's season-ending loss to the Montreal Canadiens 3-2 in overtime that finished up a quick four-game sweep in stunning fashion considering the way the Jets rolled into the second round, sweeping the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. Um, I'm Andrew Patterson. Michael Reem is joining me in just a second. As always, want to thank our sponsors, Not Autocorp, Royal Sports, PolicyMe.com, Assiniboia Downs, Little Brown Jug, Aikens Lake, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Breezy Bend Country Club, and of course, Cool Bet Canada. We've got a big show today. I mean, needless to say, uh, we'll be packed for the next few weeks, breaking down what happened and looking ahead into the offseason, a very important offseason for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, first things first, though, we'll discuss what happened to the Jets in this series against the Montreal Canadiens. You guys, do we love breaking down the game with better than JP Vijay? JP's going to join us in a few minutes. And then more of a big picture discussion on the Jets going into this offseason with Mike McIntyre, a review of the postseason, round number two. But we'll get to the big questions for this hockey club going forward, management, core players, expansion draft, changes that need to be made, and all of that. Welcome to everybody that's with us live on YouTube right now. Uh, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Give us a like. Always appreciate that support. And uh, for everyone listening on the podcast, thank you for making us a part of your day. If you'd like to uh, give us a little bump, Give us a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify and pop in a little rating that you're enjoying Winnipeg Sports Talk. Great to have you all with us. Michael Remus, get in here, buddy. Um, as I said yesterday on the program, it was pretty stunning how things can change in a week. Uh, a week ago today, we were getting fired up, ready for the Montreal Canadiens to come to Winnipeg after completing their amazing comeback against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I could have never imagined that a week from last week's show before we'd even drop the puck, that we'd be talking about a series that's over in the favor of the Montreal Canadiens today. Um, it started off poorly. It went deep uh, down very quickly with Mark Shifley's suspension. And um, it just continued to snowball out of control. And um, I mean, last night's game, I know on the scoreboard says three to two in overtime. Um but, I mean, I think that was the most lopsided of all four games, and none of them were particularly close when it comes to the way the play was made. So, um, you know, listen, a really disappointing way for the season to end for the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, I was on with Kenny and Rennie afterwards. I try to avoid doing post-game stuff because, unlike the big Jays, like many of you, I can get somewhat hot and uh, emotional after those games. But it was a really fun conversation talking with the guys about that. Feel free to check that out after Winnipeg Sports Talk today. Um, but, you know, now 12 hours removed or whatever, there's obviously still a real disappointment about the way that series went. But I don't know about you, um, considering the way the game went, for the first time in my life, I was sitting there thinking like, you know, yeah, you're hoping for the team to win. But at the same time, is it just prolonging the inevitable and more agony? Because I mean, if you're a Jets fan, that wasn't very much fun last night watching that game. 
I mean, we had the incredible five minutes in the second period where Logan Stanley decided that he was going to uh, get the team back in it on his own with those two goals. And that was obviously a great story and great for that young man. But I mean, beyond that, Montreal went for the jugular and um, the brilliance of Connor Hellebuck kept the Winnipeg Jets in that hockey game. And listen, that's not the first time we've been saying something like that. Um, a very disappointing way for the season to end and just unravel the way it did after the amount of promise that was legitimately earned by the club with the way they played against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, but we move on into tomorrow, which will be a very interesting day. <clears throat> I'm fascinated to hear what we get out of Winnipeg Jets head coach Paul Maurice, some of the players. Um, you know, After the final game of the season, you'll hear quite a bit. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the interview after the game, everything is so fresh. Um, you know, I think it was more somewhat shock, stun and resignation. The fact that their season was over, I think we'll get much more from the team, from the players, from the coaches on the ups and downs of this season, uh, tomorrow. And of course we'll discuss it all on Winnipeg sports talk. The one thing I'll say to you, Reem, and throw this out to people in the chat, the more I've thought about this series over the court or the playoffs over the past 12 hours, to me, the playoffs are a, a perfect recreation in some ways of the regular season. You know, the team went into the regular season knowing that they were going to be up against it. They were going to have to battle and hopefully make the playoffs. And some people thought they would. Some people thought they wouldn't. But it was far from a sure thing on either side. You know, I think the Jets played well in, you know, the first half, bit more of the season. Now, again, I think they found a way to win a number of close games, take advantage of their advantage in net um, and grind out 50-50 games that turned into wins more often than not. Um, at one point, they were 27-14. and 14. And to me, that is exactly what happened in the first round. Um, yeah, the Jets won 4-0. We all know that it was a much closer, um, a much closer series than that. Uh, but I kind of look at the Edmonton series as the first two-thirds of the regular season where, you know, the Jets were competitive. They were in very close games. Sometimes they, you know, would give up more scoring chances than the other team, probably more often than not. But they were able to grind out those very close games, take advantage of the goaltending, the scoring ability that the team has, and win more often than not. And that's exactly what happened to uh, the Jets against the Edmonton Oilers. Unfortunately, we all remember the miserable final month of the season where everything bottomed out on the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, to Maurice and the team's credit, they got it back for that first round and they looked much, much better. Um, but after the nine day break, they went into the Montreal series. And unfortunately, the team we saw in the series against Montreal looked a lot like the team we saw in the final month of the season. And yes, I know there was no Mark Scheifele. There was no Dylan DeMello. Those are very, very key, uh, you know, missing players from the lineup. Uh, but I mean, the Jets just didn't have it at in any aspect. I mean, I went down a list of, uh, well, put it this way. I'll put it out to the chat. Um, outside of the face-off circle, was there any aspect of this series that the Jets were competitive in? Um, and we'll take goaltending out because Connor Hellebuck was brilliant. Carey Price was awesome too. I mean, he went 4-0 and and I'm not sure it was really even tested that much in most parts of the game. Um, so we'll remove goaltending because I think what was thrown at each goaltender was so different that it's hard to compare. But outside of that, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, like the, the Canadians, the sticks, the tenacity that they played with. I mean, their success in winning battles, their ability to break the puck out of their own end, the Jets' absolute inability to make a clean pass at times and just get it beyond their own blue line. 
Um, there was giveaways, the dump-ins, the zone entries, inability to set up shop in the other team's offensive zone. Puck management uh, wasn't even close. Uh, and composure, execution, decision-making, all of those things. Uh, I mean, the Jets just weren't up to the level of the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, listen, it's disappointing for the fan base. It's incredibly disappointing for the hockey team. We heard it yesterday. Um, and it certainly leads to some very interesting questions about where this team goes going forward um, from a management, coaching perspective, and certainly player personnel. Um, uh, there certainly is lots for us to chew on, Remus, over the course of these uh, next weeks and months going into what will be an incredibly interesting offseason for this club and the National Hockey League with an expansion draft, a draft free agency, all getting going in around a month. Yeah, how's, uh, how's it going? Sorry for those uh, technical issues off the top. We have it sorted out. We are here. And, you know, someone asked me in the Kenny and Rennie chat, you know, what my reaction was when they when the Habs scored the overtime winner. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, at that point, it was kind of relief. Um, we had watched that game. We had watched the other games. And, you know, their advanced uh, hockey stats coming out. People are saying this is the most lopsided series since expected goals was tracked in 2007-2008. The Jets were not in this uh, in the last two games at all. I mean, the first two games by score were definitely uh, closer. But after watching the last two, the Jets, they they couldn't break the puck out. They couldn't get to the net. It just didn't seem like they had the will. So when Montreal finally ended it, I was, I, first of all, I was happy that it didn't go like three overtimes of just getting beat up and Hellebuck saving the day. And I didn't have to sit there and, and subject myself to that. I was also happy that I have a free evening now because, you know, I, I want to sit here and say, yeah, the Jets could turn around and, and turn the switch on and be back to being that team that they were against Edmonton. But even, you know, throughout that game, it was pretty clear that they were, I mean, as you said, it was uh, much like their season. I mean, they look great against Edmonton, although. You know, it was three overtime games that they managed to win the coin flip on, if you want to say overtime game is basically a, a wash. And then against Montreal, I mean, they really, they couldn't generate any offense. Six goals in four games. You had a number of the top players not putting points on the board. Your goals are coming from Logan Stanley last night with two. Derek Forbert with another one that's happening. Lowry had the other two. So uh, it was just a miserable series and a really sad ending to what was an, an unbelievable experience in the first round. It was so much fun. All the games were awesome, um, especially during you know this tough time here in Manitoba where you can't see anyone. I know a lot of people are coming together here in this chat, Illegal Curve chat, Kenny and Rennie uh, chat, and enjoying watching the hockey club. But uh, that was, it, it was tough. Uh, it was tough there, you know, getting through that one. Yeah, it was. Hey, shout out to Samuel22. Sam's a Hab fan, is a Habs fan, I think has been with us on most days here. Congratulations, Sam. Uh, Samuel says uh, there was one thing that the Jets were better uh, that did more of, and that was hits. Um, but there's a reason for that. The Habs always had the puck. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're controlling the puck twice as often as the other team, uh, and you're always chasing the game, you're definitely going to get a few more hits. And it's great to play physical, but at a certain point, you got to get your puck on the stick. And uh, unfortunately for Winnipeg, I, but you know, credit where credit is due. I mean, we here in Winnipeg will focus on what our team didn't do and what they were unable to do. But uh, first things first, I mean, full credit to the Montreal Canadiens. Now, I know Blake Wheeler, when he was asked about uh, about it yesterday, um, you know, and I think the media was sort of trying to get a little bit of an explanation as to what happened to his club. Um, you know, the captain, you know, didn't want to go there. Maybe we'll hear more about that coming up in uh, in the tom tomorrow's media availability. 
Uh, but the first thing that he did, and you could see, I mean, the praise for the Montreal Canadiens and the way they were able to control that series pretty much from game number one right till the OT goal last night was very, very impressive. And um, certainly it was beyond what I thought. And I thought this team, like a lot of people did, was done four games into the first round. And yet now they've got some time to rest, recuperate, and get ready for an incredible challenge of either the Colorado Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, listen, we're going to get to it, break it down with JP VJ in just a second, and Mike McIntyre coming up a little bit later on. Um, just before we do that, want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Policy Me. Now, life insurance must be one of the unsexiest purchases you'll ever make of your life, and probably the easiest one to procrastinate on. But make no mistake about it, the financial security of you and your family is incredibly important. And in all likelihood, if you've got any sort of dependence, if you've got a home, this is something that you really need to really need to get. Now, I get it. Um, you know, you probably don't want to go through hey, face-to-face meetings with brokers pushing you in one way or another. You want a quick, easy answer on what you need. You want the best rate and you want to do it quickly, preferably without much human contact. And that, my friends, is what Policy Me was founded on, offering affordable rates roughly 10 to 20% lower than other insurers in Canada, an instant decision where you find out if you're approved for coverage instantly instead of waiting weeks with most other companies, and most people don't require a medical exam. And the best part about it, it's an easy, straightforward process, traditionally taking weeks involving confusing paperwork. That is done. No more insurance jargon. It's done around 15 minutes with an easy-to-understand application, all done online. Take care of your family's future. Get it done as quickly and easily and as affordably as has ever been available at policyme.com. Click online at policyme.com. Fill out the questionnaire. You'll get the information back. And please make sure that when they ask you where you heard about Policy Me, tell them that you heard them on the podcast. Also want to give a big shout out to our friends at Royal Sports. I've seen a lot of people rocking the whiteout gear that they were picking up at Royal over the course of the playoffs. Um, well, playoffs are over for the Winnipeg Jets, but it's just about bomber season. Incredible bombers gear there. Valor FC starting up. Cannot wait for that. And speaking of soccer, Euro 22 is coming kicking off on Friday, and uh, if you've ever been to Royal before, I mean, just the most incredible selection of soccer jerseys, both national teams and club teams from all around the world, and while you're there, you can check out the bikes, the disc golf, the newly expanded fitness section, more runners than you could possibly imagine. It really is all there at Royal Sports, 650 Rally NK, 750 Pemina Highway, and I think we're getting up past 30 degrees again today. You know what's a good uh, thing to do? Maybe a good way to kind of try and get over the disappointment of the Jets' loss. How about a trip to see our friends at Nick and Nicky DQ? DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, or DQ St. Anne's. Great sponsors of uh, us from day one, featuring those new drumstick blizzards. And uh, for my money, the most underrated burger in the game, the Ultimate Grill Burger. Pop down, see our friends Nick and Nicky DQ at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQ locations in Manitoba. All right, let's talk some puck right now. Um, no one better to break down what did and didn't happen for the Winnipeg Jets than our pal JP VJ taking advantage of our time with these rinks closed. And, uh, you know, JP uh, has always got some time for us here in Winnipeg Sports Talk. What's going on, Vij? How are you? 
Oh, I'm good, thank you. What's your blizzard of choice? Uh, uh, the, you think ice cream. The blizzard of choice is undoubtedly the drumstick blizzard. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's new or they just launched it recently, but it's incredible. And uh, But the Kit Kat blizzard is back. Um, so Ooh. I have not tried that one yet since it's been relaunched here in Manitoba. Uh, but a, I think I'll be on a steady diet of drumstick and Kit Kat blizzards for the next little while while it's uh, <laughs> while it's hot. Uh, you know what? Some, there's a lot of Jet fans that could probably use a blizzard right now because, JP, um, like I'm still sitting here trying to digest and wrap my <laughs> head around how a week ago today we were talking about the Winnipeg Jets coming off a four-game sweep of the Edmonton Oilers with a week of rest to get ready and prepare for round two. And uh, we're sitting here a week, six days from the beginning of the series, talking about a four-game sweep the other way that really was not close at any point in the season. What happened to the Jets? What happened to the Montreal Canadiens, if you ask me? I mean, the way they turned, they gave the Winnipeg Jets a dose of what Winnipeg gave to Edmonton. The space that they took away, they took away everything that made the Winnipeg Jets good. Their forecheck, their neutral zone speed, and they're able to hold on to the puck. Well, Montreal, I don't remember one game that every time I saw a Jets player, either in the D zone or in the offensive zone, there was one, two, sometimes three or four players around each of the Winnipeg Jets players. I don't know how they did it. I think at times they played with 12 guys on the ice because they were all over the place. <laughs> It was it, unbelievable. The Jets couldn't get in the zone and sustain any pressure because of the, how how dominant Montreal was on pressuring the puck. Be one back checker, two back checkers. I don't even remember a time where Nikolai Ehlers maybe once comes through the neutral zone with speed and has options. He's been by himself. Montreal has converged on him with three or four guys, and he has to flip a high dump in where Montreal gets the puck and right back out of the zone and down the Winnipeg Jets' throat. Uh, it, it was a masterful performance by the Habs. And, you know, I guess from the from the layman watching this, Veach, I mean, we knew what they were trying to do. We knew what the Jets were trying to do. And as I said, I think a lot of people were willing to give maybe a mulligan for game one um, in that, you know, they started off poorly. And Maurice, in some ways, sort of had the self-fulfilling prophecy going into game one saying, hey, we've been off for a while. The First 10 minutes might look a little different than the second 10 minutes. And unfortunately, they were down to nothing after the first 10 minutes and and never really got into the series. And then, of course, the incident was Shifley at the end of the game, which, you know, cannot be overstated the effect that it has on it. But from a house perspective, it seemed like Dominic Ducharme had his game plan. They rolled it out for game number one, and he just sat back and kept rolling out four lines, and they kept doing it, and nothing changed for four games in the series. Well, when they score first every time, what do they have to change, right? They, they stuck to their identity and what has made them good and what has made them believe in the success in the playoffs. Uh, they scored first every game. The Jets were behind every game. The Jets at one point had to open up. Montreal took advantage of it and just owned the game from there. And the belief in themselves, right? They, they've never come down. The, the interesting part will be how do they perform now? They're going to have a break either five, six, seven days now before they face Vegas or Colorado. How do they perform after this long layoff? You know, do they get a knuckle sandwich as well and, you know, gets whooped in four? Because that's a possibility. Um, but right now, you can see how momentum changes very quickly. Montreal never had to adjust. Adjust what? They owned the whole place. I found the Jets weren't able to come together as a group. And, and I felt the Jets felt crippled. And then the star players, unfortunately, weren't the star players. I, I, you don't want to hear that. But... When you got more goals from Logan Stanley than anyone else on the team in the second round, 
you know you're in trouble. Uh, JP VJ with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, breaking down last night's loss to the uh, Montreal Canadiens. You know, the one thing, and as a former player, how did you see it? Because, I mean, I think from a fan's perspective, I mean, you realize that the first game didn't go the team's way. You realize that they were quite up against it, you know, with the injuries. at Blue line as well. We focus in on Shifley. Make no mistake about it. The loss on Dylan DeMello. Uh, for any any of us, you know, that, you know, maybe had diminished his importance to the Winnipeg Jets, we saw it in spades, the difference between round one and round two. But Vij. From a player standpoint, when you're when you're going through, the team gets into you know game number two, um, they give up that shorthanded goal, but never really generated anything offensively. Um, were you expecting the Jets to try to do something different, uh, or is it just a matter of hoping that a player can step up and get through what Montreal was doing? Well, I, I felt in game two that the, the onus was there that they were not getting anything offensively, and Paul Maurice was going to have to look to adjust something, and the Winnipeg Jets adjusted the lines, but that just didn't seem to be enough. I felt that they had no ozone time and, and I don't, I'm still trying, I have to rewatch it, but Montreal was able to get the puck out of their zone into the Winnipeg jet zone with one or two passes and stay there. The jets were dumping the puck in and then coming back out into the neutral zone and not really able to generate any momentum. And to me, the puck support to the neutral zone wasn't there because Montreal was so hot and on the heels that the Jets were running away and not being able to make passes to support each other up the ice. So to me, that's where the game was lost was, yes, they didn't score as many goals, but in that neutral zone, Montreal dominated. How many times did we see a, a Shea Weber, a Ben Sherratt, a Petrie, an Edmondson, a, any of those defensemen stand up right at the red line and force the Jets into an icing or into a soft chip into the defensive zone, and they just turned and ripped it right back up the ice. The Jets, who are known for being heavy on the pucks and good in the offensive zone, we're nowhere to be found that way, but I think it'll be interesting to see on exit interviews if there's more injuries than we know of. Yeah, I mean, certainly that's always something that you know you hear about at this time of year, and it would probably make sense for a few uh, individual performances that weren't up to uh, up to expectations. But you know, you mentioned about the domination in the neutral zone. I mean, from my eye, and I think most of the numbers. I mean, the Habs donate, dominated in every aspect of this series, in both ends, and in the neutral zone. But was the neutral zone the key to the domination in those other ends as well? Or um, Because, listen, I, I kind of get you. If you have that hammer with the advantage in the neutral zone, it certainly does put you in better positions to begin, you know, puck retrieval or whatnot in both ends. But I'll tell you what, JP, I mean, you know, there's one thing to say about the neutral zone. Um, just the execution, the decision-making, the puck management. I think a big part of that was the Jets were always sort of chasing the puck never mind chasing the game uh before they even got it on their stick well to me that's part of that neutral zone because the winnipeg jets would get the puck and have to get rid of it because there's three or four montreal canadians there and that just led to quick transitions offensively for the montreal canadians who were able to put pucks into places in the offensive zone soft areas and really control how much time morrissey pionk forbit and all those guys had to turn and get the puck how many times was it Josh Morrissey face to the glass instead of Josh Morrissey facing up the ice, being able to make a good pass? And when Montreal didn't have perfect pressure, they backed up with just a little bit and they squished that neutral zone and they made it near impossible. How many times did we see blue line turnovers in the defensive zone and offensive zone for the Winnipeg Jets? It happened all series. They weren't able to overcome it. They weren't able to gain any speed to the neutral zone. When did we see a flying, you know, 
Kyle Connor or Nikolai Ehlers in this series. Almost none. Nikolai Ehlers maybe once or twice, but really having to go and regroup all by himself and attack all, all the way. So I think that was what Montreal did superbly well. And they just believed. Like, belief goes a long way. Uh, you know, they had the Jets' number. They could see the frustration. They weren't taking extra penalties to give the Jets PP time. Uh, they were. They believed in their formula, and their formula didn't have to change because the Jets were never able to juggle the puzzle. They never scored the first goal to make Montreal play from behind. If Montreal would have been down one nothing, well, that changes the whole dynamic of the game because now Montreal's got to open it up eventually if the Jets were to stay patient. But Montreal just stayed patient, capitalized, and you know they're getting contributions from everyone. And you know, look at Dallas last year. Who expects them to go to the Stanley Cup Finals? Well, they got contributions from who? You know, all the unsung heroes. Every year, there's a team that has guys that step up in the playoffs. And those are the guys, unfortunately, that go a little bit further than everybody else. Yeah, well, and I think that was what the hope was for the Winnipeg Jets, JP. And I mean, we've talked about, you know, the perceived depth that I honestly believe that is there. I mean, I think we've seen, you know, certainly through the top nine, um, you know, three really good lines this year that have, you know, contributed in big ways at times. And listen, with Mark Scheifele out of the lineup, you know, the Winnipeg Jets needed not a guy, but a lot of guys to really step up. And listen, I think we've given a lot of credit to the Montreal Canadiens for what they didn't allow the Winnipeg Jets to do. Um, But I'd imagine there's a lot of Winnipeg Jets that are um, lamenting the lack of contributions over the course of that four-game series because um, they really needed it to happen. And you're right. I mean, it's hard to look at anyone in that forward group that really sort of stepped up and... um, and did what they needed them to do. Yeah, I mean, you can go through the list. You know, I hate to do this, but, you know, Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Paul Stastny, Nikolai Ehlers, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Matthew Pearl, Adam Lowry, Andrew Kopp, Mason Appleton, and so on. You can't say one of those guys stuck out to you in any of the games, right, in, in a positive way uh, to make something happen. And, and it's unfortunate. Montreal did a fantastic job of nullifying anything the Winnipeg Jets have to, to me, that's the, the, the key to that whole series. The Jets were able to nullify Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl for the most part. Well, they just got that sandwich flipped right on them, and they, they got all of it for four games because Montreal and the problem, Carey Price, let's be realistic. He, he wasn't the difference maker, but he's the difference believer in that Montreal organization, knowing that, hey, if we play this way, Carey Price has got our back, just like Connor Hellebeck does, but they got a little more offensive contributions from unlikely places, you know, you know, to fully get some of the goals, but that so-called fourth line of Armia uh, and company, uh, Perry and them, uh, really, they took it to the Winnipeg Jets in the offensive zone. The offensive grind time they had that we're used to having Adam Lowry do to other teams was a, a clinic. They, they were in the game all night. Yeah, I, I will say Lowry, um, obviously he scored a couple and I thought that he, you know, of all the forwards was, um, you know, was the guy that, you know, did make a few things happen. Uh, but again, I mean, he never played a minute with Cop and Appleton in the series. And that goes back to, you know, the issues that they had first with the Stastny injury in games one and two, then the absence of Mark Shifley. And it sort of started off bad and just got worse throughout the series. Um, what? The biggest difference to me, JP, and I guess maybe this does come back to the forecheck of Montreal and the way they did, but it, it just seemed like, you know, game composure, puck management, and the ability to make a pass and get the puck out of their own end was compl- night and day different from one series to another. 
What what yeah. was uh, why did the Jets have such a hard time even getting the puck out of their own end and seemingly things that were simple and quick and fast in series one um were a slog in this in the second round? Well, I think what Edmonton does is they're a little bit more reckless in their forecheck. When you look at Montreal's forecheck, they are down to a T. If if one man goes, they all go. And that pressure, whenever a player on the wall, be it Nikolai Ehlers, Blake Wheeler, uh, Trevor Lewis, anybody, got the puck on the half wall, there's three halves. The defenseman standing on the blue, there's a guy in the middle of the ice, and there's a back pressure guy coming from underneath putting pressure. So they had created uh, a perfect trap in the, in the offensive zone, and they just ate that apart. And the Winnipeg Jets, you know, at times got frustrated because they're chasing it. They're trying to create offense. And that started from the D zone, and that's where they got in trouble. Uh, you know, a, a missed pass by a foot or a meter, that's on Montreal's tape, and they're ramming right back down your throat with more grind time on a best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is down your throat and into the net. So I think it's very interesting that the Winnipeg Jets weren't able to, to circumvene that. The speed of the Jets should have been on display with the speed of the Habs. This should have been a fast series. But I felt Montreal just bogged down the Jets physically and mentally, through those games and almost created a mental block for the Winnipeg Jets to get through. Well, a mental block. It's funny you say that because it seemed like, you know, the team was, like, I don't want to say not ready to play, but you know, it's been unfortunate. This has been a trend of the Winnipeg Jets that, you know, there's so much talk about back-to-backs and the travel and everything. The, the times where they've come out the worst have been after like four-day breaks, five-day breaks. And they got a nine-day break and weren't good enough to begin. And I mentioned, you know, Maurice said he wasn't sure what to expect in the first 10 minutes. And they really did get behind it. But listen, the Shifley incident and the subsequent suspension certainly rattled the lineup and had some, you know, some major ramifications. But from a team perspective, JP, um, and considering what we saw from the Jets in games two, three, and four, um, looking back, how much do you think that incident affected the psyche of the Winnipeg Jets going into it? Because I'll be honest, I was expecting, you know, all these players that we've just been mentioning to realize that, hey, there's no Shifley. They need more from me and a real step up and a real pushback. And through nine periods after that of hockey, um, there was almost no pushback from the Winnipeg Jets and literally nothing changed. Yeah, the, the mental block or the freeze that that created was, was really surprising because the Winnipeg Jets, it's not like they haven't dealt with adversity, right? Nikolai Ehlers being out, uh, Shifley had been hurt, uh, and there's always been an injury. So they've had that, and I really felt that this year they did a good job of managing that during the season. So I thought, well, this is just another thing for them to go through, but it really just seemed to paralyze them mentally. And I don't know if they were you know, mentally blocked by that or were they just – in such a funk that Montreal was all over them and not giving them a chance to breathe and, and get back to their game, that they just never found their rhythm. So uh, to me, it was that. And that paralysis, you know, if Shifley's out there, yeah, he probably gets a little more offensive going for the Winnipeg Jets. But is he by himself able to turn that series around right now? I have some some reservation on saying Shifley would have been a way different series. Do you, can you say if Mark Shifley's in the lineup that this series is different right now? Um, well, uh, listen, it might not, it might still be over. I don't think the games look as ugly and the team as lifeless as they did in the final three games. And the reason I say that JP is as bad as the start of the game was on, uh, in game number one, um, 
I think if you look back, that line of Shifley, Connor, and Wheeler, um, they had a ton of great opportunities in that game, especially in the second half of that game. And honestly, that's the only time at any point of this series where the Winnipeg Jets had legitimate scoring chances on Carey Price. And, um, you know, with him gone, no one stepped up. We've talked about the fact that, you know, nothing really changed. Um, you know, I do think that, that that game two probably looks very different. And if that's the case, maybe the series looks different. But honestly, after Shifley was out and we saw what happened in game two with absolutely no pushback and the Habs scoring one goal and just kind of shutting it down. I mean, honestly, that was the worst dullest playoff game I think I've ever seen. I don't know about you. You've seen a lot of them, but I've been racking my brain trying to think of one that was even in, even in the ballpark as that one, because um, like it, there was nothing going on the ice. There was no scoring chances and there was no real threats. And at that point you realize that Montreal seemed to have, uh, well, Reynolds described it. It's like a wrestling. They kind of had him in the sleeper hold and they pulled the arm up once, twice. And then, well, it went down. The ref hit the bell uh, on that. I mean, just your thoughts on just the way that that all went. Yeah, you would have anticipated some sort of jam or some sort of response after Shifley goes down. And I couldn't maybe you know game two is quiet. You know, you watch Tampa play right now, and you know it's a six-five game, and you're like, holy, Boston's playing, and you know there's passion, there's body checks all over the place, and it's heavy. Um, the North had been known for a skating division all year. Um, but unfortunately, the Winnipeg Jets seem to forget how to skate and play their game for for nine periods. And unfortunately, that's the series, right? It goes that quickly. It's three games in four or five days. Bang, you're done. Uh, and good night, Irene. It's welcome to hockey. Figure it out, right? Like, you have a chance to figure it out. Like, it just happens so fast. People are like, well, they didn't make any adjustments. What adjustments do you want them to make? I think the only one I would have liked to possibly see is Blake Wheeler in the middle, right? Put him down in the middle maybe with Ehlers and Kyle Connor to see if you can get those three guys going. Um, but I think it just handcuffs the rest of the group, right? And look, Paul Maurice tried everything last night. Uh, he had Pierre-Luc Dubois on the fourth line uh, by the end of the game. He was almost on every line all night, and nothing seemed to click. There was no chemistry. The passes were off. Montreal was on the, on the stick on everything. Um, hats off to them, but uh, I'm not sure where you go because now it's an interesting offseason with free agents and contracts to figure out. Well, no doubt about it. And let's get into Dubois because, um, listen, I think I was there was a lot for you on this one. Uh, yeah, huh? I think there was a lot of patience for Pierre Luc Dubois. I think people knew that he came in into a kind of a unique situation. He had to do the 14 day quarantine, took a little while to acclimatize him to Winnipeg and all that. Um, he didn't score in the last 24 games of the season. And, and, and especially JP, when Shifley got himself suspended. That was the moment for Pierre-Luc Dubois. This team needed him. That was the reason why they traded for him. This is Mr. Playoff PLD. Well, let's go. This is the time. Here you go. Number one center, Kyle Connor, Blake Wheeler. Um, it was time to go. And, you know, listen, fair or unfair, um, you know, I think that he could have erased a lot of the impatience that was coming with some strong performances and a regular season would have meant nothing. But at the same time, the stakes were so much higher that when you come up small in that situation, um, the spotlight gets brighter and the questions get a lot tougher. Um, can you make any sense of what we saw and didn't see from Pierre-Luc Dubois? And, and listen, maybe he's injured or something like that, and we'll find that out tomorrow. But assuming that everything's on the surface, um, hard to imagine a more disappointing series at the end to the year for a guy that the Jets traded a massive amount of capital to acquire. 
Yeah, to me, the biggest thing is confidence. So, look, when I watched the last three games, Pierre-Luc Dubois would skate down the ice and lose the puck with no one around him. To me, that has nothing to do with skill or ability or, or with desire. It's all confidence. Uh, the, the poor guy was skating up the ice. He'd do a pull-up and the puck would slide off his stick. The National Hockey League, that doesn't happen unless you have lack of confidence, right? So, to me, it had all to do with, between the ears, I think. Confidence, maybe the pressure of not scoring for 20-some games has gotten to him. He wanted it so bad. He was doing it more. Every player goes through that slump. And in this type of season, it's actually harder to get out. There's no practice time. He, he doesn't have time to work on it. There's just game after game after game. And it just compounds, right? So if you get on a hot streak, that season can last, that, that hot streak can last a couple months because all you do is play. Well, if you're on a cold streak, that can last a couple months. Basically, that's what's happened, right? Pierre-Luc Dubois has gone through, you know, bits and spurts of looking close to what we want to see him to see for the Winnipeg Jets. But at no point this year did we see the PLD that we expected to see that dominated the playoffs a few years ago in the Edmonton bubble. Yeah, I know. There's no doubt about that. Big questions about Dubois going forward. And I think, you know, listen, when you lose the way that this team did and, you know, and it's not in a bubble. I mean, this also comes, you know, after an incredible win against Edmonton in four games. But that coming off um, the worst month that that team's had, I think, since the team came to Winnipeg. I mean, there'd never been a seven-game losing streak. They lost nine out of ten down the road. And, you know, to the team's credit and to Paul Maurice's credit, I gave them a lot for the way that they kind of came out of that and played against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, But in a lot of ways, JP, it seemed like, you know, a lot of the struggles that this team had getting anything going in that final month of the season, it's like they had a time machine and went right back to that for this series against Montreal. Yeah, and that's, that can be the playoffs. Just just that simple, right? Like they had found a recipe for Edmonton. That recipe wasn't the same for Montreal, and they weren't able to add cinnamon and spice and sugar and make everything nice uh, to, to go with that, right? So that's where they kind of stalled into it. And maybe Edmonton was the perfect storm for the Winnipeg Jets because they knew they were going to have to focus and be on things because Edmonton kind of owned them all year. Well, they owned Montreal, so maybe a little bit of not complacency, but like, hey, we know how to handle these guys. Let's just go play our game. Well, Montreal has flipped their game around since uh, they found their identity down here in the stretch. The Jets didn't adjust their identity to rebattle that, so just kind of washed away. JP VJ with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, breaking down the uh, stunning four-game sweep at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens for the Winnipeg Jets. JP, from your perspective going into the offseason, and I know there's still we're going to have a lot of time to – kind of chew on this but i mean if you're in the uh, if you're in the top office over there at true north and you're looking at this club management coaching core leadership all of those things um is, is there one area that you think more than others might need to be tweaked in this off season or do you chalk this up to you know some good and some bad learning experience very strange year you like so, you know, you like what you have here and think it's capable more and you, you bring it back with, you know, a few tweaks, maybe some younger players in the lineup and run it back. Well, I think we're going to end up seeing a few tweaks. First is who's gone in the expansion draft or what does Winnipeg do to not lose a player to the expansion draft or the Seattle Kraken? I think that's going to be the first question that they're going to want to deal with. Then who comes back and who doesn't? Is this the end of, you know, Matthew Perot uh, and his hefty contract? Paul Stastny, is he back? That opens up spots in the top six. Uh, do they fill it with a free agent? Or are they going to leave Christian Veselainen come in and earn an opportunity there? Or is Andrew Kopp 
get a more substantial role in the top six, not just the top nine, uh, and you go through. To me, the biggest key is the tweak on the back end. Uh, I think you saw the difference between Montreal and Winnipeg. If I said to Hustler, what's the difference between Montreal's defense and Winnipeg's defense? Well, they're big. They box out. They play 25 minutes a night. They don't let you get in front of the net. And um, they win battles consistently. And they seem to make a pretty good pass and are able to get the puck out of their own end. Uh, does that summarize it well so, enough? I think well, pretty close. Yeah, I wasn't looking for that long of a list. But sure, I was just thinking big, nasty, and, and in the way. But exactly. So I think to me, that's where the Winnipeg Jets look to adjust. I understand they want to have their skating guys, their DeMello, their, their Pionks, their Josh Morrissey. You know, if you can add a, a big, nasty other player like Derek Forbitt, who, you know, really quietly had a fantastic season for the Winnipeg Jets as a number three, four, five D. Uh, don't expect them to score, but help them box out, you know, someone to play along with a, a Logan Stanley, someone who's big, who's mean, almost like a Ben Sherratt, right? Like who can come in, play physical, uh, and put some some culture into that back end, put some oomph into that uh, pizzazz, uh, just life, you know, you, you lose a lot of guys, but if you look at the guys they've lost, and I, I hate doing this, but Bufflin, Truba, and Myers, not all good, big, strong players, but they brought a little bit of oomph and pizzazz to the decor. I, I found the decor was good, but very vanilla, right? Like the, you bring some personality in there. You, you look at, look at all the top teams that have won. They have personality on their back end and offensively. What's the identity of that? What's the identity of the Winnipeg Jets decor right now, if I asked you, Huss? Uh, the identity is uh, hanging on for dear life. That's that's the identity. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Like they have good puck movers. They're not overly physical. They're And then they're in the way. So that you need a guy to kind of – and this is going to be hard to find. You're not finding a game changer on the back end unless you're making another trade. Right. They don't grow on trees. It's not something you can just go and pluck out of a tree and say pull someone out of retirement and say, hey – here you go. Here's five million bucks. Let's go play, right? Scott Niedermeyer is not coming out of retirement, and, and and so on. Neither is Dustin Buffalo. So how do you find that? How do you do that? That's going to be the key for for I think the Winnipeg Jets and Kevin Shovel Day office to me is just to spice up the back end offensively. They can roll. Uh, they have young guys coming in that can kind of fill in. You 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 know get that. Find another Tyler Toffoli on a cheap contract. You know Trevor Lewis and Nate Thompson did a fantastic job on the fourth line this year. They didn't get a lot of points. But, you know, they helped on the PK. They took Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler right out of the PK so they could focus offensively. So I think those kind of guys you're going to fill in probably that fourth line again and sprinkle in some other guys. Can you replace uh, Matthew Perot and Paul Stastny? Those are two questions offensively, right? Is Veselainen ready? Is there someone else in the minors that can come in and fill a top six or top nine spot and get you 30 to 60 points? Yeah, I mean, I think the guys that we're talking about from, you know, when it comes to that, like, listen, Nate Thompson did a lot of positive things. Um, Tough look on that first goal against, you know, not getting the puck out on the PK. And, you know, listen, I know it's one play, but, you know, for that to be sort of the last memory, uh, I'm not sure that helps the the potential of coming back. And then there's the other thing, and David Gustafson is seemingly ready to go. Um, and I think yeah, they envision sure. him in that in that situation. So I think he'll be given every opportunity to to, to pop in the, to the lineup. And you know, Stassi's interesting. I mean, I think they would love to have him back in some role, and maybe it's not as a prominent role as he was in for this season. Um, and then you've got Cole Perfetti. And listen, I know Perfetti. Uh, if you'd asked me this a year ago, with his size, we thought wouldn't have thought that maybe he'd be on the path to be an NHLer this early. 
But JP, instead of dominating the Ontario Hockey League, he played in the American League, the World Juniors, World Championships, and excelled at the AHL level. And, you know, with the only other option for him to go back to junior, which I don't think is certainly what the player would want, I think he'll be given an opportunity to maybe come in and crack the lineup. And, man, what a dose of energy that would be if you can have an offensively talented, you know, 19-year-old come in and add some of that energy and excitement that... You know, at times with this club, to be honest, is uh, is lacking a little bit in that, you know, certainly leadership. It's a little more veteran. They played together for a long time and understood the way it goes. Um, But I have no doubt that there will be some significant changes, certainly to the roster, and then some big questions about everything else going forward. JP, before we go, um, the rinks are going to be open hopefully soon. Uh, what are you up to? How can people find out about the uh, the growing JP VJ uh, hockey tutelage endeavors? Yeah, we have our website, vjhockey.com. Most of our stuff coming up. We're just waiting on guidance from the province, like everyone else, to see what we can do or what group sizes or limitations we will have. Once we do get going, it'll be on the website. It'll be there. You can always find us on Twitter, jeanvj11 at Gmail. Uh, we'll be there as well, uh, throwing out our, our camps or what we can do. And we always have a splash on Instagram as well, vjhockey. Follow us there. Have some fun. I uh, hope everyone stays safe. And uh, Haas, I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, Vijay, absolutely. Uh, listen, really appreciate you doing this. And uh, yeah, if you do have time, once we get into the next round, would love to talk a little bit more with you about the Habs and how they are able to uh, attempt to do what they did to Winnipeg against either the Avalanche or Vegas Golden Knights. But uh, it's always fun talking talk with you, pal. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll talk to you soon. All right, there he is, JP Vijay at Vijay Hockey. Um, great stuff with JP. We're going to have Mike McIntyre coming up in just a couple minutes. Hey, I want to give a shout out. Han Cholo. Shout out to Han Cholo. Congrats on you, your great show. As a Habs fan, I'm glad I found this channel. You guys provide great content. Saw a couple of other nice comments from Habs fans. And I know there's a couple that'll go in there and tweak everybody and go back. And hey, I got a lot of time for Habs fans pumping their chest right now. Uh, they deserve it. Their team played incredible. And if you are a fan of the Montreal Canadiens right now, enjoy it. Embrace it. Enjoy the next week. We had a fun week talking about the upcoming round at uh it ended too soon, I think, for a lot of people around Winnipeg. But um, anyways, um, for the vast majority of Habs fans that have come in here and had fun with all of us, um, you're welcome here all the time. We'll continue to be talking about your team going forward throughout the playoffs, and we are here every day. Anyone else new, uh, welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hit the subscribe button. Join us daily, and if you're listening on the podcast, give us a, a five-star rating if you wouldn't mind and a little review. It certainly helps out in a big way. But Han Cholo, thank you very much for the kind words as well as all the other Habs fans that have joined us and had some fun with us. Um, stick around. Probably got a few team, a few folks that uh, will begrudgingly be cheering for you as the lone Canadian team going into the next round. All right, Mike McIntyre coming up in just a second. Uh, do you want to thank our... Great sponsor at Not Auto Corp, Waverly and McGillivray, Not.ca, buying and selling all makes and models, including Manitoba's best selection of Tesla vehicles. Uh, you can pop down right now in person at Waverly and McGillivray and see all the incredible vehicles available. And if you're in a ride right now uh, looking to move out of it or in a lease, Talk to the Not experts about their consignment program to get top value for your vehicle while moving into your into the car of your dreams. They also do incredible body work, detailing, and more with Red Seal technicians. Whatever you need, our friends at Not AutoCorp have you covered. Why not? Not.ca and at Waverly and McGilvery. And uh, 
here we are. It was a sad end, but cheers to a great season for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, yes, if we're doing any cheersing coming up this week, it will be with some of the great Little Brown Jug products, including the delicious new Summer Lager, a little bit better, as well as the Hefeweizen. Um, you can get those all in the uh, in the summer pack, as well as the uh, the flagship 1919 product. And you want to know how you do it? You don't even need to leave the house. Go to the new relaunched website, littlebrownjug.ca. Um, incredible merch, too, but they've made buying beer even easier before, and they do daily runs of home delivery. So uh, throughout the pandemic, you don't even need to leave the house. Stay inside. Stay hydrated with their friends at Little Brown Jug. And, of course, Breezy Ben um, still wrapping our heads around the craziness of the end of the tournament on the weekend with John Rom getting uh, popped out for COVID. Rom Watch is on right now going into next week's U.S. Open. He's going to be out of quarantine the day before the tournament begins. He'll presumably get in one practice round and then be going. We'll have plenty of golf reports um, daily here on Winnipeg Sports Talk for our friends at Breezy. And if you're thinking about um, a great golfing home for you and your family for next year, give them a buzz. The waiting list is growing for next season for Winnipeg's uh, and Manitoba's most popular social golf clubs for you and the entire family, breezybend.ca. All right, um, we've got lots to digest about this series, the end of the year for the Winnipeg Jets. And it's always a pleasure to bring in our guy, Mike McIntyre from the Winnipeg Free Press to make some sense of all of it. Mike, what's going on? I uh, I will admit, I am somewhat stunned that we are talking about a series that is over already when you consider the excitement that I think everybody had going into game number one last Wednesday night here in Winnipeg. Um how do you see this? I mean, was this just a masterpiece of the Montreal Canadiens? Uh, did the Jets come up incredibly small when they needed people to step up? Or is the truth somewhere in the middle? I'm stunned that we are... Uh, actually, maybe I'm not as stunned if you'd asked me this after Game 2, the way the series was going. But let's face it, going into this series, a four-game sweep for Montreal seemed almost inconceivable, the way the Jets were kind of rolling coming out of Game 1. Uh, uh, is this all on the, the great play of the halves? Was it the uh, the Jets just, you know, not being anywhere close to the team they were before? Or is it somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. You have to tip your hat to the Montreal Canadiens and the job that they've done. I mean, this is a team that really was was a goal away from, from you know, facing a 4-1 elimination. If they don't win uh, game five in overtime, game six in overtime, like they're not even here, of course. Uh, they have shown just a tremendous resolve and, you know, real real attention to detail, especially on the defensive end. That is a team that is all pulling in the same. The kind of hockey you need to play this time of year to be successful. That being said, the Jets made this way more difficult than it should have been. And you talked about some of the, the high-end guys not showing up. I mean, you could run down the list. Fact is, Haas, when you only score six goals in four games, and five of them are off the stick of Logan Stanley, Adam Lowry, and Derek Forbert, like, you've dug yourself a significant hole. I mean, everything from the power play coming up empty and, in fact, uh, costing them, uh, you know, with a couple of shorties against. Um, just everything seemed to go wrong in this series. And it, it's so hard to fathom, right, because everything seemed to go right in round one. How do you have such a 
a, a diversity in, in the way the, that this team looks and plays in such a short period of time. It really is mind-boggling. And in a way, you know, it kind of sums up the season that was, the year that was. Uh, it's the year of seeing things we've never seen before, the unexpected. And uh, the Jets play right to the bitter end would certainly fit into that category. Well, Mike, let me ask you this. I hit Remus with this analogy earlier, and I've been thinking about it all morning. I mean, to me, the playoffs are a almost a recreation of the regular season in that, you know, the Jets went into it as yeah, maybe somewhat of an underdog. I mean, I think a lot of people around here thought they were capable of making the playoffs, but I think most people had them sort of in the middle to middle bottom tier of the, of the division. And you look at what the Jets did coming out of the gate. I mean, they played a style of hockey where, you know, often they were out chance, but they played in very close games. Um, they relied on Connor Hellebuck and their scoring ability to win those games that, you know, could go one way or the other. And and listen, it's a credit to the way the team is built with Hellebuck and, you know, their ability to make the most of their chances that, you know, they won more than their fair share. And at one point, you know, despite a lot of numbers saying otherwise, they were 29 and 14 and had, you know, perfected the art of winning all of those close games. Fast forward to the final month of the season and the bottom fell out on the club in almost every aspect of the game. Special teams, five-on-five five play, uh, you know, the ability to make a simple pass, battles. I mean, you go down the list. And Maurice said that, and he said, you know what, this happened at a very important time for us. And to his tre- credit and the team's credit, after the regular season, they turned it around and went into the first round. And, and I look at these two series. The Edmonton series, yes, it was 4 nothing. Everyone knows that this was a razor-thin margin Uh, between winning and losing, but like the Jets in the first two-thirds of the season, they won more than their fair share of those games because of what we've talked about. And then you move on to the Montreal season, and it almost encapsulated everything bad that happened in the final month of the season, reared its ugly head, compounded by the fact of Dylan DeMello's injury and Mark Scheifele taking himself out of the series. Yeah, and you know those obviously were key events, not unlike what we saw in uh, in Game One in the bubble last year against Calgary, where the Jets lose Shifley to injury and then Patrick Liney to injury, and and they just never recovered, right? And and this seemed to have a very similar feel. The big difference, of course, Haas is the Jets really had nothing to feel good about going into the bubble last year, given the length of pause that there had been in the season. Whereas this year, they had a first-round sweep that you think would have instilled that confidence. I do wonder, um, you know, the nine-day break clearly did not do this team any favours. Um, and the, the the lack of a break clearly didn't hurt the Montreal Canadiens in the way that I think some of us thought it would. I thought we might see a Montreal team run out of gas the way that the Jets kind of did back in 2018, you know, after that epic seven-game series against Nashville, and then they really just didn't have it in the next round. Uh, Montreal had played more hockey than anybody. They had, they're built around a number of older veteran players, but they only seemed to get stronger as this series went on, and the Jets just didn't have it within them. You know, I almost wonder, Huss, as you pointed out, Paul Maurice talked about how important it was to maybe face that late-season adversity, and there's no question that worked in Winnipeg's favor in round one. I almost wonder, though, if, if winning four games the way they did 
almost was the worst thing that could have happened, that they needed almost to be tested a little bit more. They needed to lose maybe a couple of those games and just barely get out of that series. And maybe that would have served them better in round two. Not that they came into this Montreal series thinking it was going to be easy, but I think the way they won so quickly combined with that long layoff, um, you know, they tippy-toed into this second round. They ran into a team that hit the ground running and the Jets could just never recover. Compound that with the Shifley incident for sure. Not just for what it meant to Winnipeg and what they lost in Mark Shifley, their number one center, but I think they poked the bear, right? They really, um, they gave this Montreal team another reason to really rally around each other. And I think we saw that. We saw that with a guy like our Terry Lekkinen stepping into the lineup, you know, for the injured Jake Evans and making a contribution in all three games. This was a Montreal team that, you know, they, it's almost like they decided after game one to hell with these guys. We're not going to let them knock us out of the playoffs. We're going to end their season. Mike McIntyre, the free press with us, breaking down the end of the Winnipeg Jets season, being swept by the Montreal Canadiens, finishing up with a 3-2 overtime win last night in Montreal to get the job done. Mike, um, there's been a lot of talk about coaching uh, with this hockey club for you know, over the past few years, as would be in any market with such a, a long-serving head coach with the tenure of Coach Paul Maurice. Um I had a lot of time for giving credit to the coach after round one for the way the team was prepared, for the way the team played, for the way they got up off the mat in that late season struggles and did what they did against the Edmonton Oilers. I think being fair, being fair, I mean, they did deserve a lot of credit for that. But if you're going to hand out bouquets for the way the team performed in round one, um, I think you pretty much have to do the opposite of that in round number two. Um, just your thoughts on the way the coaching staff handled this series changes that were tried, maybe that weren't. And what does it say? This this crash landing after round number one, um, in your mind, what does this do for um, the coaching situation going forward? Does it change anything? So I'm with you, Hassan. I, I gave Paul Maurice and his staff a lot of credit after round one. And I, I think that it was credit that was deserved. I mean, they made a number of adjustments in that first round that I thought, you know, were pivotal. Um, and just to list a few of them, like number one, they put Dylan DeMello with Josh Morrissey, which I think was a big reason they were able to keep Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in check. I love the way that Paul Maurice went to his red hot second power play unit a lot more in that first round, often starting them on power plays and look no further than that epic comeback in game three, where it was that second power play unit with the likes of pro and Ehlers that got that rally going with a couple big goals. Right. Um, so I thought Paul Maurice, you know, certainly pushed the right buttons. He got the Mark Shifley line away from the Shif or from the McDavid line. He got the Lowry line out and that made a big difference. But I'm also with you in saying that here in round two, we didn't see those same adjustments that I think were necessary. To me, in a way, the line shuffling, the blender, um, you know, which he had on maximum here in these last couple of games, I get that he was trying to find a spark. It didn't work. Um, and if anything, it just seemed to lead to more confusion, more disarray. Um, I realize he had no choice, you know, for what he had to do on the blue line once DeMello got hurt. DeMello and Morrissey wasn't an option. 
Um, you know, to me, Huss, I look at game three to game four. The Jets weren't good at all in game three. Their season now on the line in game four. He went back to the exact same lineup. And, you know, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. Maybe they would have looked as lifeless as they did in game four. But look, Jordy Ben is not part of the future here in Winnipeg. He was a rental. The Jets couldn't break the puck out of their own end, you know, if their life depended on it. They have a guy in Ville Hainala who's supposed to be a major part of the future. Why don't you at least go down with with your future as opposed to somebody who has nothing to do with your future? I would have put a guy like Ville Hainala in the lineup for game four. Um, you know, the old saying, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again. I just think as as much as we saw Paul Maurice maybe make some adjustments in round one, they just weren't there in this round. And so for sure, some scrutiny has to fall on the coaching staff. That being said, I do not expect Paul Maurice is going to get fired this offseason. I really don't. I would be shocked if it happens. Um, I think the Jets will look, they, they will see enough maybe signs here this team hasn't quit on the coach. The message, I don't think, has grown stale. Um, and I think they'll look at some of the circumstances, whether it's the Shifley suspension or the DeMello injury or just the unique aspect of a season that saw them only play the same six opponents all year. I think there's enough to say that they'll bring back Paul Maurice. Maybe the leash is a little bit shorter for next season, but I fully expect he's behind the bench to start the year. Yeah, you know, Mike, I'm... Um... I mean, listen, if you put a gun to my head and I had to pick one way or the other, I think I'll probably ride with you on that. But I was much more sure of that earlier than I am right now. And and I guess part of it, and I'm with you, I don't, I, I think if anything, and I think, I believe it's been reported before, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, with the extension to Maurice in Winnipeg, um, you know, it was sort of a long-term commitment to Paul to be here and be part of this organization. And I would assume that I think the long-term picture, the plan was for Paul Maurice to have a role in this organization at some point beyond being a head coach. Right. If that is the case, to me, there's a, co- there's a couple ways that this could go other than just continuing to run it back. Um, if the coach, and I guess Maurice would probably be part of this decision as well, to be honest, with how much he's respected by Mark Chipman and Kevin Shoveldale. But if they look at this and realize that it's been eight years and feel like, you know, m- maybe this has run its course, which happens in pretty much every situation. I mean, Joel Quenville, I mean, we don't need to go down the list of Hall of Fame coaches that have ended up, you know, moving on. If they find that that is that is the case, and there is a, an an, oh, an, um, an agreement on that, that you know they were going to move on, I think there's two things that could happen. I mean, one could be you know a move to the front office to work alongside Kevin Shevelyoff and transition into that post coaching uh, side. The other side that it because listen, Paul Maurice is still relatively young, and I think that I, I don't really think that his intentions are to not be an NHL coach next year. Um. I have thought about the potential of Maurice, if available, being maybe an attractive guy for Ron Francis in Seattle. I mean, a guy that could come in that could establish a culture right off the bat. I mean, first year, what are they going to be doing? I mean, it could maybe be Maurice's dream job. You'd be working with all veteran players from all around the league for the most part. Um, 
an incredible world-class communicator for a team that is going to need to connect with a new fan base and a, and a history with Ron Francis. Right. The fact that that job is not open right now, uh, that has not been filled right now, um, and I mean, from all accounts, I mean, Ron Francis might be the best poker player ever. I mean, he has kept everything close to the vest. We've really heard nothing about that. And maybe that's because he has his eye on a couple possibilities that have been coaching in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I honestly wonder if Paul Maurice might be one of those guys. And if that option was there, would that be something that the Winnipeg Jets might say, you know what, this is would be good for, it, it might be good for both sides to move on in that way. What do you think about that potential possibility? Yeah, th- there were some Maurice Seattle whispers a year ago, uh, if you'll recall. I mean, th- there was some talk in, uh, you know, last summer, uh, last off season in that direction. Um, and th- the extension, I think, you know, put that to bed, uh, or at least the thinking was it, it put that talk to bed. But of course, here we are now all these months later, and the Kraken still don't have a coach. Um, you know, there's a number of big names out there for sure, whether it's Gerard Gallant, who, of course, his stock has risen, not that it may be needed to rise because he's he's a renowned coach as well. Uh, but certainly the, the double IHF World Championship performance by Canada has him probably in hot demand. You know, Bruce Boudreaux is another name. I just wonder, Huss, if you're true north uh, and Paul Maurice, I believe, has two years left under his current deal here in Winnipeg. So. We know that they're an extremely loyal organization. Um, you know, would they pay Paul Maurice to not be the coach of the Winnipeg Jets? Um, and and if they're not having Paul Maurice be the coach, who are they bringing in? If you're just replacing him with somebody in-house, whether it's Pascal Vincent um, or Dave Lowry or something like that. I mean, to me, I don't see that happening. I think the only way you're making a move is if you're bringing in a big name that likely is is commanding a pretty big ticket. And I just don't necessarily see that happening here. I really don't. Um, but again, uh, you know, it, it has been a long time. Paul Maurice is the most tenured coach in the NHL other than the reigning Stanley Cup champion in Tampa Bay and John Cooper. Nobody has been at the helm longer. And... Every coach, even the greatest of all time, ultimately have a shelf life. Um, I think Paul Maurice has probably extended his shelf life a little bit, um, you know, based on a first round sweep of, of Edmonton. But I have I have all the time in the world for those that say, you know what, that was more a product of some luck. Great goaltending. That's not so much the coach. That's that's some other factors. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I guess put me in the category of of anything can happen. I would just be surprised if by October, when the next season gets underway, if it's not Paul Maurice behind the bench. Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, and we're just you know we are speaking and speculating about some situations in the league. I mean, as far as paying him not to coach here, I, I mean, I guess the premise of what I'm speaking about is that. You know, yeah. there'd be some things working behind the scenes that know that that was an option. And at a certain point, the Winnipeg Jets and Paul Maurice would shake hands, say, uh, hey, you know what? When this is over, we'd love to have you back at some point when you're finished coaching. Hey, he loves Winnipeg. He's made it his home. Family's here. I mean, uh, I, I, I absolutely think that Paul Maurice, if 
if this sort of thing happened, would have every opportunity if he wanted to come back and be part of this organization as long as it's owned by True North and Mark Chipman and, and going forward, and that would be down the road. But I, I do see a possibility where they realize that, man, this has been a long time. We've been banging at it with this group yep. and with this coach. And at some point, you know, you're going to need to make some significant changes. And, you know, obviously a coach is one of the aspects that you could do. Um, and, you know, and certainly it's been talked about for a while. And as I said, I don't think it's going to be a matter of just firing Coach Paul Maurice and then hiring somebody else. But I do think the fact that Seattle's out there without a coach right now, with the way this season went, um, I would say that there's a possibility to make that happen. And that would sort of be, I think, if the Jets figured that they had the time has run out and they would like to go a different direction, it would give them the opportunity to do that without eating a contract for another couple years, giving Paul Maurice an amazing opportunity to continue his coaching career and then move forward in a bit of a different direction. Because I will say this, Mike, I'm sure you're in agreement to this. Um, considering the season we saw and especially the way the season ended, um, there are going to need to be some significant changes to this roster to continue moving forward as the core gets a little older. You've got some new younger players coming in. And at the same point, for players that have been here for so long and probably will be here going forward, at what point do they consider a new voice as much as Paul Maurice has incredibly expected, but respected by everybody that's in a decision-making role at the, uh, at the arena downtown? Well, you're right. And, you know, Hess, I think we're past the point here in Winnipeg of the just happy to have a team back mentality among the majority of the fan base. There will always be people out there that, you know, win or lose, they'll support the jets, you know, no matter what uh, they'll buy tickets, they'll buy merchandise, but there's no question. And we're, we're living in a different world now. Right. And we don't even know what, what the world's going to look like sort of post pandemic as society returns to normal or as close to normal as as we're going to get and that includes things like filling bell mts place every night fifteen thousand plus i don't think anybody can take that for granted anymore and just having the nhl back in winnipeg as great as that is that alone isn't going to sell tickets you need to win uh you know and and so for sure i mean the pressure to keep putting out a product that fans are going to pay to see and pay big money. And in a lot of cases, a lot of those fans don't necessarily have the money that they once did, or they've found other ways that they need to spend it or other priorities. So these are all factors for sure that, you know, I'm sure deep in the bowels of the true North offices and Mark Chipman and company that, that is being discussed that, you know, what's our plan here, not just for next season, What's our three-year plan? What's our five-year plan? What's our 10-year plan? And they have to find ways, you know, those uh, transitions that, that happen from one core to the next. Blake Wheeler isn't going to be the captain forever on this team, right? This, the keys will eventually get turned over. The changing of the guard will happen, and that will include the coach, um, it's just a question of how close to that we are. And I'll, I'll say this, Huss, for all the talk that we've had here about Paul Maurice, we should know our answer fairly soon, right? Like, if Paul Maurice isn't going to be the coach next season, I don't expect that's something that's going to drag weeks or months here. We should find out very quickly, uh, because I think that's the sort of thing you would act, 
you know, fairly hastily on uh, because you'd want to get your ducks in a row on that front as early as possible. Um. As far as, listen, we'll have plenty of time to get into expansion draft discussions and free agency and whatnot, but just a simple question. Um, we'll leave coaching out of it. Um, if the Jets are going to tweak their core at all, what's the most likely move? Is there one player of the of the core Jets, if you will, that would be most likely to potentially be available and what's priority number one when adding to this Winnipeg Jets hockey club if you do have to, you know, make another significant move like the one they made with Columbus earlier this year? Right. You know, I'm not saying that they're going to trade him at all. So let me preface it with that. But I think if you're looking at a core piece that would have significant value, that if you're really looking to do a shakeup and get something significant back, you have to look at Kyle Connor. Um, you know, he has a as a contract that I think is very tradable for the production that he provides. Um, and as much as Kyle Connor, you know, he can score really like nobody else on this team. Um, we saw in the playoffs, certainly in the Montreal series, that there are some there remain some flaws to his game. He's not a perfect hockey player. Uh, really, nobody is. But, you know, I think if the Jets are going to take a big swing, let's say for a number one defenseman, if that remains something that that they're looking at, um, you know, and, and those don't just fall off trees or land in your lap. Right. Like, so do they revisit something with Kyle Connor? And we know that there were there were teams inquiring about Kyle Connor a year ago. Um you know, and those talks sort of went quiet, but do they, do they pick up? Um, you know, I, I think we know there's also been talk in the past about Nikolai Ehlers. To me, Nikolai Ehlers. Not is, happening, not happening. <laughs> no, you don't trade. Nikolai Ehlers uh, is, is a player that should be here for life. And, um, you know, again, uh, he's got a great contract for what he provides. He was one of the few forwards, I thought, certainly of the core. He was maybe the only forward out of the core. Uh, if you want to include Adam Lowry in that core, then I would say Lowry showed up as well. But Nikolai Ehlers had a lot of jump last night. I can't say the same about most of the other guys. So, yeah, I mean, to me, Kyle Connor is a name that, you know, is probably going to come up again. And again, I say there's no, I'm not saying he, he gets traded. I'm saying if you're looking to take a big swing, um, you know, he's a guy for sure that, that you you maybe explore in that. Department. If you were considering that though, is the swing to add a significant top pairing piece on the blue line? Yeah, I think it has to be for sure. I mean, unfortunately, Huss, we, we didn't get to see Billy Hanela much at all this season and we certainly didn't get to see dylan sandberg at all maybe one or two of those both of those guys maybe they are top pairing pieces here in a few years but if the idea is not to rebuild because i don't think you're going you're not going into a rebuild here if the idea is to try and retool on the fly or reload um i don't know that you're waiting for sandberg and hanela to you know, because if you are, that's a few years away, likely them being a top pairing impact player at this level. So if the idea is to try and quickly do this on the fly, that to me that has to be a priority. I mean, sure, the Jets, we know they, they didn't score a lot in this series against Montreal, but 
you know, there is some scoring depth there for sure. And if you look at what's in the prospect pipeline, you know, whether it's a guy like David Gustafson or Cole Perfetti, there's some talent up front that is, that is, you know, coming into this system as well. Um, but for sure, I mean, the defensive side and, and a number one kind of impact guy, I think has to be something that they, they are taking a long look at. And that's where a guy like Kyle Connor might be in the conversation. Mike, i got to ask about Pierre-Luc Dubois. I talked about his uh, performance with J.P. Vigier a little earlier. And just to reset for people that have popped in um, before. I mean, listen, it was a weird year for him. Traded for the first time. 14-day quarantine. New team. Working around with multiple different line mates. Trying to find a fit throughout the season um, that didn't really work. I-, I think there was a lot of patience for Pierre-Luc Dubois from the fan base. And I think certainly from the hockey club. Um <laughs> The Mark Scheifele suspension was the opportunity for Dubois to step up and really show that, you know, he's capable of being a guy that can take over playoff games like we've seen in the past. The the exact reason why he was acquired by the Winnipeg Jets, Mike, um, to see him fall from the number one center to a fourth line winger over the course of a four game series, I'd say was stunning, but it wasn't really if you saw the way he was playing going forward. I mean, how can you even make sense of the season Pierre-Luc Dubois had and where he is right now? Is this just a straight-up mulligan season and he's got to come back with a clean slate and start from scratch next year? Absolutely, it's a mulligan. Or I'm willing to give him a mulligan on this one. You know, it reminded me, seeing him move down to the third line and then the fourth line yesterday, Huss, it, it reminded me a little bit of what Paul Maurice did with Patrick Laine a couple years ago when Laine was really having a crisis in confidence and struggling. I, I remember at one point Patrick Laine was moved down to play with Adam Lowry and I believe it was Andrew Kopp at the time um, in an attempt to maybe just get back to some of the basics. Don't worry about the scoring so much. Um, I actually thought Dubois, you know, he played a couple shifts with Lewis and Thompson, and I thought he looked pretty good on that line, you know, in a very different role. Um, I think we forget this kid is 22. And for those already, you know, wanting to just completely write him off, I would encourage folks to go back six years, go watch some video of a 22-year-old Mark Shifley and what he looked like at times six seasons ago with the Jets. There were flashes for sure of his potential, but he was far from the complete player um, that we now know he is. And even now, people will still pick apart parts of Mark Shifley's game. Um, That being said, you know, this was a bizarre year. Uh, Two weeks of quarantine, you know, changing teams in a different country during a pandemic. not one, but two different injuries, possibly three Huss. We'll maybe find out a bit tomorrow on garbage bag day for the Jets, uh, whether or not he's been battling something. And it wouldn't surprise me to hear maybe he's got something else going on injury-wise. But yeah, uh, it was frustrating for sure. It was disappointing. But I'm not ready to write Pierre-Luc Dubois off. Um, and I think there's probably nobody happier to kind of see the offseason and the chance for a complete reset than Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I'll give him a lot of rope when the team returns in the fall uh, to see what he can do with a full training cramp, a full training camp and a a full summer kind of under his belt. 
Mike, uh, tomorrow, garbage bag cleanup day. Uh, the team will meet the media. We'll hear from the coach, GM, players. What um, about tomorrow? I mean, what what are you going to be like? What what are you hoping to hear tomorrow from the Winnipeg Jets? What's the what's the topic? And maybe even we'll take it from here up and through the next two or three weeks. I mean, what is, what are you looking at next for the Winnipeg Jets, considering what just happened against the Habs? Well, there's a lot of decisions that are going to have to be made. You know, from who's being exposed in the expansion draft to uh, who potentially of their own UFAs are they looking at bringing back? And we know, you know, there's a few significant names, right? Tucker Pullman on the blue line for sure. Uh, and, you know, up front, you've got Paul Stasny and Matthew Pro. Like, are any of those guys potentially coming back? And at what price? Um, so, you know, I want to hear a defined plan, right? I don't just want to hear tomorrow that, you know, oh, we made some progress and this was a unique year and um, it is what it is. Like, I, I want to hear uh, a set plan for what this team, how this team plans to address some of the warts that, that were exposed by Montreal, some of the holes that remain in this roster. Obviously, that's no, that's not so much on the players to deal with that. That's more the GM and the coach. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think fans... Uh, again, going back to what I said earlier, we're past the point of just happy to have a team here. Fans want to hear that there is a solid plan in place to get this team back to being a true contender. Because I think what these last couple of weeks showed us is that this team, they may have fooled us a little bit by that first round sweep of Edmonton. They, they aren't nearly the contender that maybe we thought they were. Uh, they were more of a pretender this year. And, uh, you know, if, if we're bringing back most of this core, a very high-priced core, uh, what's going to be done to fill some of those holes so that the team that hits the ice in the fall is ready to be a contender? Mike, it's funny, just on the way out, um, you know, if you had told me and most Jet fans at the beginning of the season that the team would make the playoffs – that they would sweep the Edmonton Oilers as underdogs in round number one and, you know, get as far as the second round. I think 90-plus percent of Jet fans would have taken that in a heartbeat. Right. And, uh, and you know, big picture, I think, with some time away, I think we'll probably look back and see some big, um, you know, steps forward for younger players. But it uh, it does speak to recency bias and a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately nature of pro sports in that, Given all of that, it still feels so disappointing seeing the team lose. But probably it's the way that they lost um, that is really sticking in. And and I think probably impactful inside the walls of True North as well. No, you're right. And some perspective, which is hard to do in the, the immediate aftermath, is important. That, you know, the, most of the people that are doing the hand-wringing or the, the bandwagon jumping off right now, are probably people that if you go back to the beginning of January, didn't even have the Jets pegged as a playoff team. And so for sure, recency bias or, you know, a victim of, they moved their own goalposts here, right? During the year that they, they increased their very low expectations as a result of some success that maybe a lot didn't expect them to have. And once they knocked Edmonton out and suddenly had a home ice advantage, th there was a, golden opportunity staring them in the face and that door as quickly as it kind of opened got slammed shut in their face and no doubt it stings right now 
but for sure with some time will come some perspective and um yeah i mean it's it's not all gloom and doom certainly not there are some really good pieces on this team and there are some really good pieces in the pipeline uh you know that that should provide some optimism and some hope that that this is not the end of 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 the good sort of run here that there's still a lot of reason to believe that this team can do some pretty special things here going forward Mike, great chat as always. Thanks so much. I'm very much looking forward to tomorrow and uh, reading all of your analysis and copy in the Winnipeg Free Press after we hear from the Jets for the final time this season. You bet, Huss. Thanks very much. Take care. Good stuff. There's Mike McIntyre. Follow him on Twitter at Mike McIntyre WPG and read his work in the Winnipeg Free Press. Great conversation with Mike, and we'll be having plenty more of those coming up in the days and weeks to come here on Winnipeg Sports Talk and Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, want to give a shout out to our friends at Boston Pizza. Had a couple friends that texted me. Uh, they uh, got after it with the game day meal last night, the spicy pierogi pizza the Meteor Pizza, that you can get two different specialty pizzas and not one order, but the Case 24-pack of wings. Um, the Pizza Flight's still my favorite right now. I still think that's one of the best deals around. Um, but the game days are over for the Jets, certainly not for the playoffs. We've got a lot more sports going on right now. So um, why cook? Let the folks at BP take care of it for you. BostonPizza.com for online ordering, delivery, and takeout available right now. And counting down the days until we can all get together after a Winnipeg Sports Talk show for a few schooners in the BP Lounge and get together. Um, Do want to thank our friends at Aikens Lake, Wilderness Lodge. Fingers crossed they'll be able to get back open in mid-June with some relaxed health restrictions. And when they do that, we're going to be getting out there. If you're thinking about a world-class fly-in fishing opportunity right here in Manitoba that you can take advantage of during these times, get on it. AkinsLake.com or on Twitter, call our good friend Pitt Turin at Aikens Lake on Twitter. And of course, Assiniboia Downs. I know my friend Michael Remus is looking forward to, you know, you know, not having the stress of jet season around so he can focus on his new passion and hobby handicapping horses um we'll get to our picks from last night and tonight's picks for live racing coming up in a little bit uh don't forget live on youtube and on the hpi bet website where you can wager on the races and watch them from home uh, as well as youtube page and the youtube page for assiniboy downs also includes asd live which runs every night at 6 45 before live racing where a stretch and the boys give you some insight as to maybe some horses you want to take a look at for these evenings races. Parade to post tonight, 7.20. First race just after 7.30. You can catch it all at Assiniboia Downs on YouTube and wager at hpibet.com. We'll also get to the cool bet lines in just a minute, but let's bring in Michael Remus back in to continue the program after a couple of great interviews, talking Jets with J.P. Vijay and Mike McIntyre. Remo? Um, what'd you think? Uh, you know, we hit a lot of topics on the actual series with JP and now we move on to the, uh, the off season and the aftermath of this series with Mike McIntyre. Um, you know, it's amazing. The ups and downs of this series, the season really, as we said, sort of encapsulated by the first and the second round. And now we move on to this off season with some major questions about returning players, 
coaching and management going forward, as well as the core of this team after a disappointing end to a season. But I do think that, you know, when you step back and remove yourself from just how ugly those four games against Montreal was, um, certainly some steps forward for the Jets and some particular players on the squad. Yeah, I was thinking about this um, as well earlier today. I mean, before the start of the season, we were looking, I remember looking at the odds with you and we're like, okay, you know what? The Jets are kind of underdog. We could see them taking the North Division. Well, I mean, if you look at it from the outside, you know, from a, a big perspective, you know, they won a playoff round in a sweep, in a sweep. They had a chance to win the North Division, you know, title in the playoffs, not the regular season title. Um, and they fell short. So, you know, they won a playoff round, I think. And in that terms, it was a success. I think, you know, when you look at the season, you know, on a more micro level, there are a lot of failures. Um, you know, that nine-game losing streak. I think the overall play at the beginning, they they did win a lot of games, but you could tell that the wheels were going to not fall off. But the way that they were playing, they are giving up too many shots and just relying so much on Connor Hellebuck. Now, they got into that series against Edmonton. They won three games in overtime. Um, you know, I'm not sure how sustainable that is. They also, you know, were more often than not on the wrong end of shot attempts. And then you get into the Montreal series where they weren't even the same in the same league as the Canadians. Um, I know you lost Shifley. I think the DeMello injury hurt. Uh, I mean, overall, it was definitely a successful season. But, the you know, have, you know having that crash landing at the end just made it very disappointing and made you realize, you know what, this team has a lot of the same problems. And I know we had talked, or you talked about this yesterday on Kenny and Rennie. It just felt a lot like 2019 where you're in a must-win elimination game and you don't even bother showing up. And that's what it was in 2019 in St. Louis in game six. You know, I think only like, didn't only Bufflin, wasn't he the only guy who really, I forget who, yeah. there was a couple guys. Either way, these last two games, they got blown out. I don't care, you know, what the score was last night in overtime. It was tough to watch. And at the, by the end, you're like, thank you for putting me out of my misery. I have a free evening on Wednesday and maybe I can finally get a walk-in or something. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I agree with you on that. As I said, it was it was the stunning nature of the way the series against Montreal went that I think was so disappointing. And, you know, I, I'm a, as optimistic as anyone. I'm a very positive person, and I'll be the one that'll be saying, hey, should we live bet down two goals? Maybe they can come back. Um, it wasn't like that last night. And even getting it to OT, I mean, you know, I think every fan desperately wanted the team to win and, you know, still maintain some hope. But there was, in in some respects, I think from a fan perspective, some relief of being put out of one's misery when that OT goal went in because of just how lopsided. It'd be very different if the team was battling so hard and it was really it was a legitimately close game and it gave you something to, to you know to, to believe in going forward. But there wasn't a lot of that last night, except of course for the brilliance of Connor Hellebuck, who every Jet fan can. I think be excited about knowing that he's going to be back in the net for game one next season and gives you a chance to win every single night. Remo, where are you at? I mean, I brought up a, a, a little bit of a a theory or a thought with uh, with Mike about the future of Maurice. And as I said, I don't believe for a second that the Jets would just make a decision to go and fire coach Maurice. But you do wonder if maybe on both sides, they sort of feel like maybe this has run its course um, considering some interesting opportunities in the National Hockey League that could be available to a guy like Paul Maurice. I mean, are you here for that conversation that maybe something happens a little untraditional as far as coach just being fired and hired again? 
uh, potentially a, a mutual understanding that, you know, if an opportunity like the Seattle Kraken were there for Paul Maurice, it might be in the best interest of both both sides. I think you have to have that conversation. I mean, you look at pro sports, unless you're having Bill Belichick level of success, not a lot of coaches stick around for that long. I, I love Paul Maurice. You know, I love hearing him speak to the media. We had him on here. Um, great guy. But you look at the track re- record of success. You know, they had the one season. I just feel like we've seen a lot of the same issues um, go on over the last couple seasons, 2019 and this year. Um, last year is kind of a, a wash. But although, I mean, last year, Shifley went out of line A2 and, the you know, the house of cards kind of folded. Um, maybe we are underestimating, you know, what Mark Shifley means, means to this club, but they couldn't find a way. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not blaming him. I think you look at, look at who's on their defense. DeMello goes out and by all means, DeMello's not like an all-star defenseman, but you look at who was left to step up and it's not exactly, you know, d- you know, deep core of defense here. So I think that some of the blame has to go on the general manager. We're two years removed from Bufflin you know, walking out on the team. So I don't think that should be an excuse going forward. I think last year that's that's a valid excuse because he walked away, what, like in training camp? Not much time to make any any changes. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, so, they were they were up against it the second yeah. that happened so, and we're still feeling that we're still feeling it now. Um, and especially, know, it's, hard, it's hard to see Ben Sherratt. I mean, for a lot of Jets, it's hard to see Ben Sherratt yeah. doing so well against the Jets. And it's like, man, we could really use a guy yeah, like listen, that right I now. Mean, that was so In retrospect, painful. I mean, no, it is. You're absolutely right. And I'm sure it's painful for Shevel Day off too. Because I don't think there's a chance in hell they let Ben Sherratt walk from Winnipeg to the Montreal Canadiens as a free agent if they know that Dustin Bufflin was going to quit. But, I mean, that's what happened. And, I mean, they got dealt that shit sandwich in the first day of training camp. And, uh, you know, I mean, listen, it's still been an issue. And, you know, from Cheveldale, I, I still have a lot of time for Cheveldale. I think he's done a great job in very difficult circumstances building this club. And I think it's a, you know, it's a real solid core. I think they've got some great con- uh, contracts. I don't think for a second that Chevy's not the general manager going mm-hmm. forward. And I'm not bringing that up. But I will say there was two major moments for the general manager this year. One was the trade for Lubois, uh, for Dubois with Liney and Rossovic going the other way. Um that has not worked out for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, I don't think there's any other way. Now, long-term, hopefully it does. I mean, Dubois comes back and looks like a different player than we saw recently and, you know, is the guy that, you know, they traded for. You know, hopefully that goes forward. But for the short term, that was an issue for the team. And then, of course, the trade deadline. And I have no doubt that Chevalier did everything he could and thought that he had a deal done uh, to get reportedly Jamie Alexiak or someone else that could come in and uh, log those minutes. It didn't happen. Um, you know, I do think with the importance of the need that maybe being a bit more aggressive and getting something done earlier and not having it get right to the last minute with the potential that you could be left, you know, holding the bag, uh, like what happened would be there. But, you know, you learn some lessons going forward. None of that is going to really be, I think, um, ex- not I want to say acceptable. It That needs to get fixed before next season. I mean, you can't be relying on, you know, a uh, sixth round Jordy Ben pick up, you know, playing significant minutes for the playoffs, you know, at, you know, unless you're, you know, down to your 10th defenseman or something like that. So, 
I'm very interested to see what Shovel Dayoff has to say about this. And I do think the next few weeks will be fascinating for the Winnipeg Jets as to whether they do just strictly stay the course as they have in the past, or maybe there's a recollection. And here's the thing about the whole Maurice bit. And I get it. If people are choked right now and the team looked terrible for the last four games and they got pumped by the Habs and they're out. But as I said to Mike McIntyre, and I'll say this to you, Reem, I mean, if you had told you at the beginning of the season that the team would win the amount of games that they did, that they would make the playoffs and they would sweep the Oilers in the first round and would get as far as round two. I think most Jet fans are taking that and most Jet fans are saying, well, considering the blue line this team has, Paul Maurice probably did a pretty good job. And I think at times he really did do a really good job. But I mean, there's just the massive... um you know, the highlighted areas on the schedule, the last month of the season, and then the bad taste in the mouth for everybody with the way the series against Montreal went. And I think that's why, you know, we'll have more conversations about this. But honestly, if you told me that this is the way the season went at the start of the year, I don't think that there would be much thought of making significant changes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, I, you know, I think definitely give them all the credit for the Edmonton series. But as you said, the playoffs was just kind of the same way the season went. And at times you felt like the team should be way better than it was. And I know they did have the Shifley injury, and I know they had uh, the DeMello injury. But, I mean, we talk about how deep they are all the time. I mean, I, the Mark Shifley injury shouldn't sink, completely sink them, but... It can't. It, it, it can't. Se- it seemed like they, yeah, they didn't know what to do with their forwards. I mean, a couple years ago, Blake Wheeler stepped in and played so well, and for whatever reason, never wanted to go back to that. The power play... Uh, Shifley has been a focal point of there. They really didn't know, uh, you know, who to put where. I'm, I saw, you know, Connor moving around wherever. I mean, Nikolai Ehlers, um, he's, you know, clearly their their most, you know, dynamic forward, although maybe it is Shifley. But uh, he's not getting power play two time. That needs to be fixed. Uh, I think he, I think going into next year, he, they got to find a way to get him more ice time. So um, that's another thing we'll have to look at going into next season. So there are a number of, number of items, of course, Stasny, Perot, what do you do with them? Do they come back on reduced salaries or do you move on? But I think, you know, you Mike brought this up as well. I mean, you're looking so hard. The future, the future. I mean, you're not playing Hainala to get that additional year of control. At what point are you just like, hey, we need to go and win now. And you trade Hainala or Samber to get someone who can come in the lineup. Are you going to really go in there next year with two rookies on defense? If, you know, does Pullman walk, Forbort walks? Um, I'm, who else, who else? Now, Pionk, you're going to have, he's an RFA. That's going to, what's he going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of what? Five and a half million. I don't know. And, uh, of course the expansion draft, who are you protecting? Who are you exposing? Do you, Morrissey's got this long contract for a lot of money. Do you just expose and be like, Hey, if they take him, you know, it'll save us, you know, give us some more flexibility. I mean, no offense to Josh Morrissey, great guy. He's making a lot of money. Um, you know, and it's and he's showing when he's not with uh, Dylan DeMello, it's it's really tough. Although, I know he's playing you know number one minutes with a uh, pool man. I think that's going to be tough for uh, for anyone. But still, I mean, his numbers this year uh, he took he struggled a lot unless he was playing with uh, DeMello there in that Edmonton series. Okay, here's an interesting comment from Partisan Paul. Don't agree, Hus. If Maurice was a player, he'd be barely above replacement. He couldn't take that loaded 28 team to the finals. What makes you think he'll do better in the future? Well, listen, I'm, I'm not here stumping for it. I mean, as I said, I'm actually saying that I think that, you know, I think there's a real possibility that, you know, they, you know, kind of come to, you know, a bit of an understanding that maybe this time has run its course. I mean, they have got it. Now, listen, it's so hard to win in the National Hockey League, like not winning a cup. And we can talk about that 28 team and how good that they were. Um, 
listen, they finished second overall. They beat the number one team in the second round of the playoffs and lost to a good Vegas team when they sort of ran out of gas in that third round. Um, you know, to me, what's been concerning is the last couple of years. I mean, the 2019 season still sticks in my craw. I mean, you know, you're around first place in the league midway through the season. Um, you know, a disastrous second half that led to the first round series against St. Louis. And then, you know, you know, it'd be interesting to compare that garbage bag day um, to what we hear tomorrow from the hockey club, uh, because I don't think the team was in a good place at that point. I think team-wise, I think they actually are in a much better spot as far as a group, uh, but that didn't manifest it itself on the ice. Um, listen, I, I'm totally here for the coaching discussion because I think Paul Maurice has been given, um, you know, incredible amount of time here with this team. And you know, I think he's done a lot of really good things. I mean, I think the development, and we talk a lot about a lot of those young players and Billy Hanel and whatnot. Let's look at the young players that on Paul Maurice's watch have turned into stars in this league. Uh, and there's a number of them, um, you know, with the Winnipeg Jets. Um, still not happy personally the, the way things went with Patrick Line, but I think there's a lot more to it than, you know, anything to do with just the coach. Um but listen, I think the organization has to really value this. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I could be the biggest Maurice fan in the world. Um, it doesn't really matter what I think. I mean, it's do the Winnipeg Jets management, Kevin Shoveldayoff, Mark Chipman, believe that this group and this core and this coaching staff can, you know, move forward and have different results next season with some tweaks to the lineup. And if they do believe that, they'll continue to go the course. But I do think that considering the way the season went, the last month of the season, and especially the way it ended against the Montreal Canadiens, that I think there'll be some long discussions on both sides as to where they want to go from here. And, you know, as I said, I, I don't believe for a second that Paul Maurice ever just gets fired by the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, I think that if anything, if they made the decision that it's time for a new coach, you know, I think he's got a job here and I think he, you know, works within the organization along with Mark Chipman and Kevin Sheveldayoff and in some role going forward, even if there is a new bench boss in town. But the fact that the, the jobs that are available in and around the National Hockey League, and you still hear the respect that the players have for him. I still think about what Paul Stastny said on Game 1000 about, you know, Maurice and the way he prepares. And let's face it, a week ago we were talking about, or at least I was, about the job that they did and getting back to where they needed to be and dispatching the others in four games. So, um, you know, listen, there's a lot of topics to get to. There's a lot of truth of all of it. And there's a lot of tough questions, I think, when you lose the way that they did. However, if you take away the bad taste in the mouth from round number two and think about the season compared to your expectations, I think the Jets probably exceeded or at least met the expectations of most, most fans. And if that's the case, is that really the time that you're making a big change on the coach? Um, to me, it's the eight years and the, the amount of time that they've been together. And at some point in pro sports, you know, uh, a changing of the guard when it comes to the messaging certainly is that, um, you know, is something that they consider. Um, but I do know in these economic times, paying two coaches is probably not really what the Winnipeg Jets would want to stomach. Um, but again, if there is an opportunity for a mutual parting of ways, if there is another opportunity for Paul Maurice, I'd be surprised if that wasn't at least considered. Um, but again, Paul Maurice might be 100% committed to coming back, feeling that like he's going to be there. The team might be there as well. And, you know, we'll find out that soon. I think it'll be interesting to get the the pulse or the temperature of everything tomorrow when we uh, when we hear from the Winnipeg Jets on the post game. All right, Reem, we got to bang out a couple of things here quickly. Let's get to our cool bet lines of the night for this evening. And uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, stinks that the Jets are done, but man, are there a couple of great hockey games on tap for tonight? 
Early 5.30 p.m., the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes go at it in rally. The Canes down 3-1, looking to extend their season. They're a slight home underdog, plus 109. And the Lightning favorites at minus 123 to finish off the Canes and move on to take on the winner of the Islanders and the Boston Bruins. And then at night, Game 5 in Denver, Abs Golden Knights, Colorado, minus 149 favorite. Vegas, plus 132. Going to be a hell of a game. And just so you know, the Islanders tomorrow, a home dog to finish off the Bruins, plus 114. Bruins, minus 133 to cause a Game 7. Big win for the Islanders last night. I love it. And, uh, man, Remo, what a couple of great nights, uh, great games tonight to watch and uh, maybe sprinkle on here on CoolBet.com. Yeah, I'm going to be trying to tune into this Vegas avalanche game this is a series to watch although tampa bay carolina has been very good a lot of goals in that last game um yeah, i guess the over you think there's gonna be a lot of goals again the over is is not bad plus 103 um but i think it's we'll see what colorado shows up will it be the colorado for game one but but uh vegas has really taken it to them since that first game i know the series is tied they're back in that thin air in denver um, we'll have to see who uh, goes up 3-2. I think that's a, that's a series everyone wanted to see before the start of the season. Uh, the two strongest teams looking to play uh, Montreal in the next round. No one would have predicted that. And I guess uh, the Bruins is tomorrow, but we got the two games coming up tonight that I'm looking forward to. You got a coolbet.com. I'll uh, post these on our Twitter along with the link for 100% bonus if you want to uh, make a first deposit at Coolbet. All right, Remo, we got to get to our picks for the races. You were telling me off air just before we got on how much fun you're having getting onto these races and just watching from home. Um, planning a, a YouTube watch party at some point. Um, and then at some point, we'll be getting everybody back together. Our entire Winnipeg Sports Talk crew, everyone listening on the pod, everyone joining us on YouTube for a uh, a big banger out at the track. We'll get some food for everybody. We'll make some bets, have a few beers. It'll be uh, be great. It's been such a long time coming. But for the meantime, you're really getting into this, uh, uh, the online aspect of it. Sorry, one, se- one second. I'm just about to cough here. Hold on, hold just on. a quick snuff. Yeah, dude, definitely, uh, definitely do that. I can't tell you um, that. I, I don't want to do it in front of everyone. Sorry. I was, I was over to you. <laughs> so, so vain, so vain. Um, um, got that yeah. set up. Yeah, and you've yeah, got I'm the good. lead in the duel at the downs as well. Which I'm, I'm, not very pleased I'm here. About. I'll, I'll throw up the thing here. I am loving this uh, horse racing. I, I, you know, I was kind of into it. We went there before. And I, but now that I'm like making picks, I'm like researching horses. I'm watching it. Like my dream is to have like some friends over, just have the, uh, the what's it called, the feed, the YouTube feed. We're all putting bets on. It's all on HPI bet. And again, I guess you can do that anytime. Hey, have some buddies over. You know what's going on? Hey, let's throw an HPI bet and bet on some rando horse races. Have Hell, fun you could even even you could even do it now by getting a little Zoom link with a few guys in there and everyone firing it up and uh, kind of you know we're oh. finding ways of kind of oh. getting and hanging out together even without that, being uh, being in. So um, that we should do that. We should do that at some point. A little uh, a little special Winnipeg Sports Talk stream for one of the nights of live racing oh with everyone God. hanging out with us. That would, yeah, just like hang out, put the hockey game on, whatever ho- hockey game, but also have HPI bet on it at the downs. 
and just have a couple of drinks and uh, talk about uh, horse racing because I'm so into this horse racing. It's so much fun. So Okay, you're the leader right now. I actually do have to. I'm on in uh, Ottawa in about 10 minutes with AJ. Oh, shit. So um, okay. I do. I, I meant to tell you that before. I figured we'd done by three. Yeah. But with so much going on, we did go a little bit long today. But uh, fill us in on where you're going with your selections for tonight, Mr. Remus. Uh, I wrote them down. So, oh yeah. Okay. Race three. I will bring it up. Race three. I have a triactor box. That means one means the horses that I have in any order. Uh, $1. So that's the six bets. Horse one, two. This isn't the right track that I'm looking at. Sorry. Let me go with Cinnaboy. Uh, here we are. Race three. I have one, two, three in any order. Oh, there's only five horses in this race, but maybe it's a gimme. So red, Astaire, midnight salute and pucker. Is that who I bet? Is that who I bet? Apparently it is. Uh, hopefully that worked out. Uh, race six, I got a $10 Quinella on three and eight. Uh, let's see who we got here. Call the Cops. Yes, I'm very on Call the Cops. If you want to bet on Call the Cops to win, that is a good one. And eight is not afraid. I like those two. And my last one is race seven, $4 on horse five. And that is You Should Talk is the name of that horse. So... Those are those are my picks. All right, here, uh, and I didn't give these before. If you want to just jot them down or whatever, I'm going straight to race one and trying to get a winner right out of the gate. Kayla Pizarro riding Master Juba is horse number one. Master Juba, I wonder if that's named after the former mayor of Winnipeg. I'll have to ask Darren that at some point. Anyways, I'm going $9 to win on Master Juba right out of the gate. Then moving on to race four, and I'm going a little triactor box as well. Taking three horses, number two, Dazzling Gold, number three, Sesame, and number six, Lulu's Lightning. Two, three, six, in any order, top three. It's the Remus triactor box. Uh, That's a $6 wager, which leaves me five bucks. I'm going to go to race six as well, Remus, and I am also with you on Not Afraid, but I am pairing up with not call the cops. I'm going with Devil's Time, a two eight Quinella for five bucks for my final uh, the final wager. So nine bucks on one in race one to win, a two three six triactor box in race four, and two eight Quinella in race six. It'd be funny if eight wins and it just comes down to a two and three right at the uh, right at the at the wire to see who wins that final Quinella. But anyways, it's there for you. 6.45 every day. Assiniboia Downs live on the YouTube channel and on the website if you want some more guidance. Parade to post at 7.20. First race just after 7.30. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, live racing in Assiniboia Downs right now without fans. And you can bet with us, uh, not to mention all around the world, at hpibet.com. Um. Wow, it's been a great show today. Uh, big thanks to JP VJ for joining us. Big thanks to Mike McIntyre. And I do want to hit on a couple of topics. I did see Eric, Eric Music, say it's about time to get the uh, to get the tours going again. Eric was one of the first... I met Eric the first time. He and his buddy Frenchie, uh, down from St. Malo and St. Pierre, came on the first Hustler and Lawless Labor Day Classic bus trip, which was legendary, is uh, all I can say. Now, I don't know when these sort of things will be able to happen, but I can tell you that I am 100% in for that. 
Um, and to be honest, maybe we team up with somebody in town and put together a package at one point when we're actually able to leave the city and leave the country and do something, whether it's going to Vegas for a Jets game or Jets on the road somewhere. Certainly a bomber trip would be so much fun when we get back to it, but we're going to do baby steps. I think the first thing that we'll do is try and once things are open, we've got the ability to get together, whether it's outdoors or indoors, get the uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk fam together in person, have a few cold ones and have a little fun, talk jets, talk bombers, do all the things we do on the program, uh, but do it together. Um, so we're definitely going to be getting out there, getting together more. Certainly when Assiniboia Downs is open, we will most 100% have a night for everyone to get together. And then um, maybe going into next season, if at some point put something together where the Winnipeg Sports Talk crew can uh, saddle up, get on the road, and uh, rep Winnipeg somewhere cheering on you to the Bombers or Jets. What do you think of that, Reem? You know, we started this, and you couldn't even, like, see anyone. So um, the idea of meeting up with any people that uh, aren't in my <laughs> and we're still there <laughs> is a foreign concept. I'm, like, having trouble processing that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to, like, a night at the Downs and also um, going to BP I know Little Brown Jug has a nice tap room, so we're going to have stuff once we're able to. It seems like we're close. They did just announce today, I know this isn't a news thing, but they did announce today the uh, vaccine NFTs. So uh, I'm a big (laughs) NFT guy. I can't wait for my digital QR code with my NFT. Maybe I'll I'll be like Logan Paul and wear like a t-shirt with a giant QR code. Of my, uh, of my, that's that's gonna be thing. We, we kind of we kind of came up with that since the Logan Paul fight. First, it was the chain with your most expensive sports card on it, and now it's gonna maybe seem like one of those lanyards oh, where you've got a multiple passes. I got and, one here. And you'll have here, and then you'll, okay. So there, Remus is gonna have his Burmy card and his vaccine passport. This is my and, new uh, lanyard. Just be rolling like that. This is my lanyard. I got my Burmy graded ten young guns card. So uh, I'm gonna be balling. At Jets game one. I got to get a gold chain for this thing, though. Uh, I I have one lying around. I just have to attach it. Right now, it's just a regular lanyard. Folks, great show today. Uh, Thanks for being with us. Tomorrow, um, we're going to kind of hold tight on guests because uh, I have imagined we'll have plenty of things to hear from the Winnipeg Jets and talk about on the program as uh, the lockers are cleaned out for the 2021 season. Um, So a full recap on Jets season, comments from players, coaches tomorrow on the program, and then uh, much more as we continue. For those wondering, we're not going anywhere. We are daily with you Monday to Friday, 1 o'clock, live on YouTube, every day in your podcast feed, 3, 3.30 or so. And uh, we'll continue doing it through the summer, through bomber season, valor season, right into next hockey season. So thank you so much for all the support. Great to see everyone still here with the team being out. Thanks to the fans from other markets that have joined us as well. Hit the subscribe button. We'll be hitting uh, sports, not just in Winnipeg, but all around Canada and the world when things get going. Um, But for the time being, thanks for being with us today and the entire Winnipeg Jets season. Full recap on Garbage Bag Day. Hearing from the players and coaches tomorrow on WST. Have a great night. Thanks again to Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, Nick and Nick. Yeah, I got to go to Ottawa right now. This is perfect timing. What a smooth operation. Nick and Nikki DQ Group, Little Brown Jug, PolicyMe.com, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend, Aikens Lake, and of course, CoolBet.com. Folks, have a great night tonight. Thanks to JP Vijay and Mike McIntyre and all of you with us every day here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. We'll see you tomorrow. Oh, my God. Oh! Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home.
Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.